Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about His Study in Scandal by Megan Frampton. This was just published in 2023 and is the second book in the School for Scoundrels series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary advanced reader copy from Nick Galley and Happily Ever Avon. And we did review the first one in this series. Um, so it was the series about the orphans who have a book club. Okay. I'm confused about how many of them there are. I think there's five. The, I, there are five. But in the first book, I thought there were four. And then no, I think in this, there's always been five. Maybe there have always been five. But in, 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 in this book, they were talking about, I couldn't even figure out their names of all the five of them. Anyway, I don't know why I'm having such an issue with there being five. But it's confusing me. Okay. <laughs> That's all. So uh, I'll, I guess, just drive right into the book jacket. Do it. Alexandra, Duchess of Chumsworth, is tired of pretending to mourn a husband who squandered a fortune and never bothered to give her the time of day, much less any attentions at night. So the still beautiful Duchess cuts up her morning gowns, deciding to experience the pleasures long denied her by daringly visiting the Garden of Eden. It is there the Tawn anonymously gives in to their deepest desires, and where Alexandra finds herself in the arms of a mysterious man. She willingly gives in to the passion he offers her, fully believing she would never see him again. But she is shocked to soon discover he is none other than Theo Osborne, who is continually being pushed forward as a husband. For Alexandra's own daughter, while his wealth would save the family from financial ruin, his intentions are clear. He has no interest in anyone but Alexandra. And though he tempts and teases her, she is determined not to give her heart to any man. But what started as a sensuous game turns into something much more. The Weird end. jacket. Yeah, but also accurate. Didn't bother me. Yeah, it's just, it's missing a lot of key things. Like, Alexandra's, the new Duke is the one pushing yeah. her daughter's hand, so there's sort of this external protagonist, and the fact that Theo has decided to take a wife of the aristocracy specifically to fulfill this, like, adoptive father's dream. There's just a lot that I feel like another jacket would have fleshed out. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it needed it. This is just like, but it's exclusively their relationship in a nutshell. Yeah, that's true. Without any of the like external conflict stuff really presented. All right. Well, let's see what you and I focused on in our 15 word summaries, because that is the randomly generated number that we got when we put it into the little search box and clicked in and came back and it was 15. So yeah. What'd you get Lane? Woman's one night of passion is with her daughter's fiance. BRB, got to go to Paris. <laughs> yep. That sounds about accurate to me. And what was yours? It is no one ever checks whether their future fiance's mothers are hot until it's too late. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a recurring theme. It is a recurring one theme. One might even call it a trope. <laughs> I am kind of in love with this trope, actually, Lane. I I don't know why I was like so obsessed with it, but lately I've read like two or three and I'm just like, yeah, give me more. Uh, Cause you're obsessed with older woman, younger man. 
anyway. That, that helps for sure. Which is often underpinning it. Well, yes, it kind of has to, unless it's like stepmother, stepdaughter, and they're really close in age, but. Or like a really inappropriately old guy for an 18-year-old debutante. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it again, this works basically because it's a historical, right. because in a contemporary, you'd be like, oh, she was a teen mom. And here you're like, oh, yeah, she was a teen mom. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, am I wrong? No. no. I mean, yes, in the sense that I believe she had her daughter at 20, but conceptually, yes. You right. are right. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> so, yes, that's that's the big trope. Um, she falls in love with her daughter's fiancé. Her daughter's fiancé falls in love with her, which means older woman, younger man. I did really enjoy that the daughter and Theo had never even met. I really liked that. I really liked that as soon as he found out, he was like, well, obviously I'm not pursuing her. Like it wasn't right. even a, like a thought in his mind, like maybe I should blah, blah, blah. Right. Or maybe I'll do it to make her jealous or maybe I'll do it to get a rise out of her. No, he was just like, uh, no. Not Alexandra <laughs> continues to like consider it as a legitimate option if, her daughter wants it right but one she doesn't and two theo doesn't so all clear yeah i i really liked that part of it because i do feel like there's often in this trope there's some kind they try to make it a forbidden thing which it is it yeah. is obviously like a forbidden romance but they try to make the union of the daughter and the main male character plausible or possible so that adds to like, makes almost a love triangle. Yeah. And that wasn't a part of the text at all here. Correct. Really enjoyed that. The other real trope underpinning it is Alexandra is a widow who is like taking control of her life and her sexuality specifically for the first time. Mm -hmm. So her marriage bed was cold and when it wasn't cold, it was perfunctory. Yep. Yep. So, wow. and she decides other trope that she is going to have one night to give in to those desires. And in this case, it's one night because her daughter is about to make her debut. Yes. She says, you know, once my daughter's good and married, I can go back and really figure myself out. But because I have to prioritize my daughter's reputation, I'm going to like make this a one time thing. I love a pleasure garden too, right? I love a pleasure garden. I love a, this is sort of the, one night stand becomes a relationship trope of a contemporary. Yes. And I thought seeing that applied to a historical format was really fun. Yes, I agree. I totally agree with you. Yeah, that's good. Uh, she also, the first thing that she does in this book actually is literally cut off her old clothes. Yes. As a symbol of becoming a new woman, right? It's a metamorphosis. She's shedding the cocoon. She's now she's going to wear, you know, she's out of mourning. She can wear the clothes that she chooses. I liked it. It was nice. She specifically goes to a dressmaker her husband hadn't approved of. It was really fun. It was so great. And not only that, he didn't approve of this dressmaker because she pays her seamstresses living wages. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, it was dumb, but I loved it. Me too. 
So as I mentioned in passing, the new Duke is the awful heir with stipulations. So he comes in and immediately starts making decisions for Alexandra and for her daughter. And Alexandra is sort of trying to navigate how and when to stand up to him. Mm-hmm. Like she knows she is not going to allow her daughter to be married off like chattel. But how and when to draw the line is something she is actively considering. Mm-hmm. And then he's part of a social club that's made up of sad, tragic orphans. And one of them is the secret son of an aristocrat. And I thought it was, excuse me, I thought it was interesting. The first book really dwelled on that. Mm-hmm. And the sad, tragic orphan of the first book finding out his real parentage and that he wasn't the aristocrat's son the orphanage was set up for was like a main part of the plot. So I expected Theo's birth family to come up and it never did. I appreciated that, to be honest. Me too. So clearly one of them is going to end up being the aristocrat's son and it will come up again. Yes. But the fact that all of these stories aren't going to be about orphans getting the uncharacteristic happy reunite with a birth fan- family in, you know, Edwardian Georgian England is nice. I'm glad I'm not going to be seeing something repetitive. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there is a, there is this insta lust, but also insta love because again, yes. you know, he's like this. This is his whole thing. He's not a rake. He owns this pleasure garden. Right. And this is just where he goes to blow off steam because he does not have relationships. He doesn't even keep a mistress. Right. And so, in other words, he just does one night stands. Like, that's all he does. Right. But, of course, the one night he spends with her, he's like, I can't let her go. Right. So, I don't know. Is it plausible? No. Is any of this plausible? No. No. So, it did not bother me one bit like it really didn't you know agreed so all right should we talk about the book sure yeah so i mean the the book is very straightforward mm-hmm. um we both felt that it read very very quickly it felt like a novella even though it is a full-length novel mm-hmm. um I don't know. I mean, we we just talked to you about what happens in the book, which is that they meet at the Pleasure Garden. He's practically engaged to her daughter, and then they get together. So I mentioned BRB to got to go to Paris in my summary. Yeah. So they there's a house party. There's a lot of like other tropes underpinning all of this, but basically. Alexander and Theo are trying to figure out how to put off her horrible son-in-law, who is now the Duke, um, in a way that doesn't enable him to hurt Theo in Parliament, um, and in a way that doesn't involve her daughter being entrapped in marriage with somebody real gross. So while they're at this house party, her son-in-law comes up with this idea to make them all go to a house party, and he thinks it's so that (laughs) Alexandra's daughter and Theo can fall in love. Alexandra and Theo think it's a good time for them to scheme. And while at this house party, her daughter, along with appropriate chaperones, just decides to run away to Paris. Yes. And so Theo and Alexandra have to have what would have been an adorable road trip romance running off to Paris together. But most of the whole going to Paris in Paris and returning from Paris sequence is sort of like a series of montages. It's, It's a series of montages and they're like sex montages. 
Yeah, but a lot of them are fade to black sex mm-hmm. montages. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I mean by like a montage. Yeah. Like there's never a full scene. It's like right. flash of this, flash of that, and then they wake up the next day. Right, exactly. And then when they get back to England um, and Alexandra sort of decides she's going to resolve the issue she has with her son-in-law or stepson, sorry, not son-in-law, once and for all, is when the conflict really hits. Yes. And the book slowed down to a screeching halt. And I really did not like everything sort of from the time they got back from Paris onward. Yeah. How did you feel about the conflict? Because on the one hand, I, I I got it. Like, she was very clear about what she wanted and what she expected. And if they were going to have a relationship, what he had to do. And he did violate that. He did basically show her that he was listening and saying all the right things and then couldn't act on it. Is it weird if I say I thought him doing that in that moment felt out of character? That's fair. It felt like he regressed. Yeah. Like, I didn't think I'd seen evidence that that was what he would do in that moment. It felt shoehorned in just to create a conflict big enough to break them up. Okay. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Like, I I think she was justified in her anger. But I I don't think, like, I was prepared for him to do that. Yeah. I was surprised. I will say I was surprised. because Maybe as surprised as Alexandra was. Same. Because I wouldn't have expected him to act like that. So I agree with you. I don't know if I would say it's out of character. Again, this isn't like a deep character study. So sure. You know, but um, given how supportive and progressive he'd been at several other instances in the book and being so regressive in that moment struck me as odd. Yes. Well, I, I did think I could see him doing that because it was just sort of like, this is the way that I can solve this problem. But it did not, it saw it would solve one problem, but cause many more. Content warnings? Uh, content warnings, are there, con- I mean, her, I guess her heir is trying, is very controlling, trying to control her and control her actions. And then I wouldn't say that her first marriage was abusive necessarily, but her husband was manipulative and controlling and she's coming out of that now. I think a lot, like a lot of widow books, frankly, this gets really explicit about the degree to which women are property. Right, exactly. And and the fact that she's trying to forge something different for her daughter. Yes. So, yeah. If those things are triggering for you, be aware. Yeah, I think it's less, I think some people just don't like that stuff, less than it's triggering. Yeah, yeah. Um. So how sexy did you find it? So there were some parts that I thought were very sexy. Mm-hmm. I really liked the first scene together, actually, a, a lot, because it's made very clear that this pleasure garden is for like-minded people to find each other and have sex, right? right. It's a sex club. Yes. And uh, they meet, and they they don't have uh, penetrative sex the first night. Right. And, like, there's nothing, in fact, what I really like is that that was kind of low-key. Okay. Do you, you you see what I mean? Yes. Like, there was nothing, there was no big deal about him being like, well, it's okay. Like, we don't have to do it. She was just like, don't want to do it. And he's like, that's fine. And I, I really appreciated that. I, I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. 
Totally fine. And really enjoyed that that first scene that her running off to the pleasure garden to take control of her own body for the first time, like led to something that was entirely about her. Like, great. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with you. I I don't want to say this. I think there was a way to use sex to further the plot here. Mm-hmm. And I think the sex scenes that existed were just explicit. They were, there were like a couple of them that I thought worked. And then the other ones were very much like we talked about, like this montage. Right. But even the other ones that weren't a montage, I mm-hmm. sort of felt like I wasn't getting the character development from them and like okay. the relationship development from them that I get from a great sex scene. I enjoyed them. What was there was hot. A little fady to blackie for my, my fady to blackie. Fady to blackie. Fady to Blackie. Um, but like, I, if I had to say overall, I wish there was a little bit more emotional depth to the sex scenes after the first one. Yeah. But like, overall, yes, it was a sexy romance novel. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think part of the issue too is that we know Megan Frampton and we know some of the books she has written and can produce. Like, she's being graded on her own curve and to her detriment. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I was like, um, I have read Gentleman Seeks Bride. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see Megan Frampton and I'm like, buckle up. And this one was like, on the explicit side of cute. It's like, there's some speed bumps. Yeah. But it's not a roller coaster. There's a boat. There's the DS. Sick. Yeah. 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 I, you know, there's not enough boat sex in historical romances because the boats, like they usually use the boats for her comfort rather than sexiness. And um, that is disappointing. So here's the thing. I think this is why I liked the one we read about the brother's widow during World War One. Oh yes. Sitting on the Duke's face and (laughs) Yes, surrendering, that's why I like, surrendering, surrendering to the dude. That's why I like surrendering to the dude, because they have a yacht. Yes. Yachts are sexy. Sex on yachts is sexy. Boats are not sexy. It's a lot of unwashed bodies in close proximity, like weird small spaces. I associate them with seasickness. Just like on the whole, I don't find yeah, but big boats or even like cruise ships sexy. Like, they can be, though. They can be written to be sexy, but they, they don't do it for... Like, think about A Tempest at Sea. Would you not have read Charlotte and Ingram on that boat? Okay. I have nothing to say to counter that point. Uh, it's it's the killer point. Final yeah. point. Most I won of the, the time, though, I am grossed out by boats as a concept. It's fine. It's fine. I, I I do think that they could be used more effectively is all I'm saying because you are in this close proximity and yet most of the time they they authors choose to be disgusting because someone's puking and then they're like, oh, I'll comfort you. Yeah. Oh, um, I just, again, the, really the praise for sitting on the Duke's face. Yes. Also, the Dahabia. Like, That's different. Those are more like yachts. <laughs> those are, okay. So those, but those fall into the yard, like the small private vessels for an individual group that are sort of meant to be super luxurious, not actual transit vessels. Okay, okay, that's fine. We got two categories. We got yachts and boats. I'm saying yachts are sexy. Dahabias are yachts. Okay, okay. Meg, follow along. This is gonna turn into our whole thing where we looked up the difference between a ship and a boat. Yeah. 
Yeah. This one, though, is not. This isn't on Wikipedia. This is just plot trist. Private craft <laughs> versus vessel primarily used for actual transport of mass numbers of people. Anyway, um, I think it's cute. I think it's really fun. Um, I don't know. Listen to the spoiler tag. Um if you want to know something else that could possibly be triggering, I I don't want to put it in because it's a major spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't think I don't think people are going to be triggered by it, to be honest. And so the spoiler tag starts now. The fact that she was fucking pregnant. Mm-hmm. Was no, so I mean the the whole thing. Like you knew, you knew. Like she's only forty years 40. old. You know, right? Like you don't go through menopause at forty, but. I, I don't know. And neither of them talked about, did he really think, oh, she's old. She's not going to have a baby. Like, but I, I didn't even care if they never talked about it. And this had just been one of those birth controls never mentioned. And then there are no consequences thing. I would have been fine with that. Right. You can still like show me they had a baby in the epilogue. If you want to reassure readers, she wasn't too fucking old to give him an air of his body or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that that like colored the making up. Yes. It no, was so weird. And the fact that she went to his best friend's house to hide out, it was weird. There was a like lot I didn't like anything that about that whole ending. Yeah, I I do think that I enjoyed the book enough that that I liked it. Like it didn't ruin the ending. Did not ruin it for me. I completely agree with you. Except now that it's been two weeks or so since I finished it, the one part about the book I really remember is the end. Mm. like the rest of the book I know was a really good time and a cute story right but it sort of faded into generic good romance novel for me yeah whereas the ending was so weird and not fun to me that I remember it very distinctly yeah yeah I think I just didn't like it and so I forgot it right where like I agree with you the act of reading the book overall I think that was mostly fun yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, but I get it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Farewell.